Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast from All About the Jersey. Hope you all are enjoying your stay indoors, whether or not you want to be there, because you have to. So, tough stuff. Listen to us instead. My name's Dan, and I'm talking to John. Hi, John. Hi, Dan. So, part of our uh, quest here to revisit some of the Devil's best memories, or, you know, eventually, if we feel like it, worst memories, we've had a lot of interesting ideas for games to revisit and this game that we are going to introduce today the one that we just watched as our little homework assignment for uh, for today's podcast happened on april 26th 2012 and it was a game against the florida panthers and it was the first game seven in florida panthers history that took place at home so there's a lot going on in the series but before we get to any of that I want to get to some of the context surrounding the 2011-2012 season where the Devils finished sixth in the conference but took on a Florida team that was seeded third and had less points than them. Of course, that was under the old playoff system where the division winners got the top three seeds and Florida managed to pull it off. And really, I remember thinking that the Devils finished behind Philadelphia by a point, but I remember feeling much better about facing Florida than facing Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, definitely, because mind you, in 2012, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin were still ruling the world of hockey. Like, those two, at any given moment, could ruin your day. And in the playoffs, Crosby and Malkin have always taken it to another level. So I I was feeling similar at the time, back in 2012, all about the jersey, then known as In Louis Trust, was very very much active on SB Nation. So I was blogging, going to the games. I was seeing it happen, and and like a lot of Devil fans, we were thinking, great, Florida is the preferable team to face in the first round. Yeah, and even for Philadelphia, they handled Pittsburgh pretty well that year, and knowing the results earlier from that night, it looks like the next opponent that the Devils would have had had they won would be the Philadelphia Flyers, which ended up being the case. They absolutely just you know, out-muscled Pittsburgh, the Flyers did, the entire series, which was surprising, but we also saw the same night that this took place, the Rangers take out the Washington Capitals late in their own Game 7. So there's a lot going on around the NHL in terms of the Devils' rivals in the 2012 playoffs, and as we all know, they ended up beating both the Flyers and the Rangers that year, but they first had to get past the Florida Panthers. And I know we said that was the preferred matchup, but by no means was this an easy series. And leading up to this game, these teams were almost entirely even by every single metric across the board. 
They scored 15 goals each up until that point in the series. They had three wins each, obviously, but during the season, they went five and five against each other. And this game is no exception to the feeling that these teams were extremely evenly matched. And it was kind of surprising after the... It was a kind of surprising contrast from the last game we watched in the Game 7, in the 2003 Stanley Cup Final, where the Devils clearly look like the dominant team. Not so in this game. This game was more of a back-and-forth battle. And the whole series was a very surprising one as well. I remember coming home from Game 3, which was in New Jersey since Florida won the division. They had home ice. And the Devils lost that game 4-3 to at home. You're down 2-1 in the series, and you come home. I got off the train and I immediately thought the Devils could actually lose this series to Florida. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, the Devils were rebounded in a big way with a 4 nothing win in Game 4 to tie it up. Then they went to Sunrise and lost 3 nothing, And you're back on the precipice. And then Game 6, game six the, the two days prior to this one, was a stressful game in of itself. It required overtime. Travis Zajac became the hero of that game. And Zajac, having to... Score that goal was massive since he missed most of that season with a uh, torn pectoral muscle, which forced Adam Henrique to be fast-tracked into the New Jersey lineup and managed to play in between Parise and Kovalchuk uh, through most of the season. Then Zajac came back, and Zajac has resumed those responsibilities. So him scoring that goal was not only massive because it got the Devils allied in this series, but at the same time you're thinking to yourself, okay, but the Devils haven't won in Florida since the first game of the series. And even that was a one goal win. So yeah. So going into this, 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 this wasn't, there was no confidence. No, <laughs> there no. Was, <laughs> there was a lot of concern, a lot of stress. And then adding to the context, Dan, yeah. and this is something brought up on the broadcast many, many times. The devils had not won a playoff series since 2007. Exactly. They lost in the first round to our hated rivals in 2008. I'm not going to discuss what happened in 2009 because I was there when that happened. And, that makes me mad, so I'm not <laughs> going to talk about that one. You know what it is if you yes. know 2009. 2010, the Devils were bullied off the ice by the Philadelphia Flyers and, you know, featuring Dan Carcillo before he became a, an open racist. He was an open diver, um, you know, so add another strike to the uh, likability factor for Mr. Car- Carcillo over there. And then in 2011, there was no playoffs because John McClain was a terrible head coach and <laughs> Jacques Lemaire couldn't dig him out of the ditch that much he he tried he came close but nope they were in the ditch mm-hmm. so oh and quite, and also florida time. hadn't won in 10 years they hadn't oh, won too. yeah florida has <laughs> yeah exactly florida themselves had even more you know you couldn't complain to a florida fan about the lack of playoff success because a they just made it and b they haven't won a playoff series since 1996 yeah so there was a lot on the line in this game so it, even though it on paper it didn't look as you know, appealing as say our hated rivals versus Washington or or the Battle of Pennsylvania, but this New Jersey Florida series was a very contentious one. As a neutral fan, you probably were thrilled by this. As a Devils fan, I I'm just on the edge of my seat, hoping please, 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 please do not, do not, do not have a bad bounce happen. Do not have a bad break happen. Do not have a breakdown happen. Do not blow it. I'm tired of blowing games in game seven or in any playoff game in recent memory let me write about a win i'll stay up to three in the morning i'll write about a win 
And what really struck me, and they mentioned this on the broadcast as well, right before, uh, just before we get into the actual game itself, what struck me was that the Devils' defensive core had almost a no-star lineup. This was this was a thing where they go from the era of Stevens, Niedermeyer, uh, Rafalski, really you know solid guys on the back end who were known league-wide, to a defensive core where arguably the best player at that moment was either Bryce Salvador or Andy Green. So it was weird to see this core kind of line up the same way. And as such, it definitely resulted in a different style of play from the Devils. And not just because the rules change or anything like that. It just was markedly different to see how they developed rushes from the back end and who was really in charge of moving the puck along. And there were not, you know, there were a few Devils that stood out this game. And of course, Henrique was one of them, not just because he scored two goals, but because he was everywhere on the ice. He had so oh, yeah. many opportunities in this game. But yeah. really, it was the big names that shirked away on offense. I didn't see, you know, Kovalchuk was, appeared hurt. Um, he clearly was hurt in some way because he ended up missing game two of the series against the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Parisi's name was barely called the entire broadcast. Eliash got maybe one or two shots away. And again, it was really the third and fourth lines bringing the energy to the game for New Jersey and making it happen. It's funny you mentioned that because I looked it up and I was actually surprised when I saw this is that Parisi and Kovalchuk combined for 11 shots in this game. Oh, wow. And they, and they took nine shooting attempts. Granted, their entire power play was basically Kovalchuk bombing away from wherever, and Parise was trying to do his best. But I know what you mean. Like, the broadcasters made a very big point about how Kovalchuk didn't look quite right, didn't look quite right. Back in 2012, I was kind of stubborn in saying, look, he may have not looked quite right, but he's still playing, you know, 26 minutes. So yeah. it can't be that bad. Right. <laughs> uh, you're not you're not throwing him out there just to, you know, just to be an option or anything like that. But, I, but you can tell he was not playing at full speed. And Parise had a very quiet six shot game if you yeah. can believe it i, I it, actually can't of, believe those numbers <laughs> yeah like you know it wasn't such a bad unit I, but uh as we discuss the game we can go into more detail about who thrived and who did not thrive because that because this game is in 2012 we actually do have the benefit of looking at things like Corsi, like expected goals and all that fun stuff because the stats were available back that back then to uh, count that sort of stuff okay and uh that sort of justifies some of what you saw and at the same time argues against one line that didn't do as well as I think people may remember. Okay. But I'll get into that when we get there. Yeah, no, definitely. I'll let you handle that part of it as we launch into the game here. The scene is set. We're in Sunrise, Florida, and about a minute 20, what was it, a minute 29 into the game, Adam Henrique's first playoff goal occurs, and what I didn't remember, for sure, hand up, is that he was a Calder Trophy nominee that season alongside Gabriel Landeskog and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and it took him seven games to find his first playoff goal, but he found it. He got a, um, he tipped in a shot from Anton Volchenkov after receiving the puck from David Clarkson. And mm -hmm. there you go. one nothing. The Devils jump out to an early lead. And the interesting thing about this was that in every single game, a team had a 2 nothing lead. Oh, yeah. And not only that, but speaking of twos, uh, the broadcasters quietly mentioned that Henrique scored his second goal in his last 31 games. <laughs> I mean, the guy hit a real cold streak, especially after Zajac came back since... Since Ajax was back, it was a question of, well, where do you put Henrique in the lineup? And eventually, Peter DeBoer, who was the head coach at the time, settled on 
Clarkson, Henrik, and Ponikarovsky. And that turned out to be a fantastic combination because they rose to the rose to the occasion in Game 7. And that shift that led to the play was pretty much the best of what that line could do. Henrik could be the guy that could get into the slot. You know, Clarkson and Ponikarovsky could definitely do the hard work of getting into the corners and taking on the bodies and getting into traffic. And the defenseman, you know, the defensive pairing of Volchenkov and Peter Harold, again, not very well heralded, but they actually had a fairly solid game as a third pairing uh, group. And with those guys, especially Volchenkov, all you just hope is that if they take a shot, it's somewhere near the net. And thankfully, Henrik was able to get a piece of his stick on it. And Theodore was uh, thrown off by it. And there you go. Early one nothing lead. Yeah, so we, we end up watching the TSN broadcast of this where they're heaping praise on Adam Henrique pretty early for the season that he's had, and it mm-hmm. seemed almost prescient considering what we know about the rest of the playoffs that year. Um, you know, even that game, they they talked about him as the player of the game as it went on the whole time, but he started off very early with this goal, this tip-in that we alluded to, and a little bit after that, uh, Thomas Kopetsky and old friend John Madden collided and Madden was worse for the wear as he is leaking blood crawling on the ice and eventually of course because this is hockey he goes into the locker room gets stitched up and ends up playing the rest of the game and almost ends the Devils playoff hopes later on but that collision happened very shortly after the Devils goal right and it was a big shock um, because it was just a total accident it wasn't like they were headhunting each other but that's exactly what happened Madden was looking across for a pass. Kopechki misread where he was supposed to go. And then literally Kopechki's helmet went into the nose of John Madden. Mm-hmm. Like this was literally, you know, a headshot, a complete accident. And as you said, it was game seven. <laughs> you know, you would have to almost kill a person to <laughs> tell a hockey player, hey, you're not going to play in this game seven. And Madden would come out later, I believe that period, like he didn't even miss a whole period. And that was a big shock because already, if you're a Florida fan, again, first game seven at sunrise, first potential opportunity of winning a playoff series in over a decade. And now you're potentially down to 11, maybe even 10, if you don't know how well Kopechki was feeling, uh, down to 11 forwards and you're already down one nothing. And John John Madden represented the most playoff experience on that roster. Absolutely. Now, granted, the broadcast did mention that Florida's roster did have plenty of playoff experience, but Madden obviously had the most, given that he was there for 2000 and 2003 in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, if you're looking for veteran presence, so to speak, it tends to be overblown in these analysis. But I believe in a Game 7 situation, it does help to have that veteran presence available to say, hey, this is a guy you could look to. Well, now, you know, Madden was that guy. And because, of course, he got stitched up and came back, you better believe everyone in the, on that bench realized, OK, if John Madden can, you know, take a helmet to the face and have his nose explode and come back in if a couple minutes and play hard, I could do it, too. Yeah. And Madden was just coming off of a Stanley Cup win two years earlier with the Chicago Blackhawks, too. Absolutely. So, so this was all very fresh to him experience wise. Of course, they want to have that kind of veteran, this former Selkie trophy winning forward uh, back on the ice. And eventually, like you said, he did come back. And eventually later in the game, he managed to get pseudo accidental revenge on Kapetsky. But we'll get into that when it happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what else happened? At 1410 mm-hmm. or thereabouts, Florida finally got their first shot on goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Florida had a slow start to this one. I mean, for the first two periods, Florida's game could be best described as they were in the devil's zone, 
but they weren't really doing much. Yeah. I mean, there were maybe a handful, like in the first period, they eventually got their shooting going, but nothing that you would sit there and go, oh my goodness, Birdor made an amazing save, or thank goodness Birdor bailed them out. Like, it was just like standard stuff. But uh, it took a while for Florida to get going in a game seven, which I was surprised to to re-see because, you know, it's game seven. <laughs> you're already down a goal, you know, you know, damn the por- torpedoes. Yeah. You know, you're play- there's no tomorrow, so you don't play like it. But uh, they eventually would get there to that point. And then shortly after that shot, we get our first set of penalties. Uh, strangely for a game seven in a playoff game, but it was for uh, beefing after the whistle. Eric Goodbranson and Bryce Salvador both went off. Uh, for a post-whistle scrum, so to speak. And that led to a four-on-four situation and then some fun penalty uh, situation shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to Dmitry Kulikov hooking Henrique from behind on a breakaway opportunity that led to a rare four-on-three opportunity that the Devils didn't do much with and a five-on-four that the Devils also did not do much with later. Yeah, common theme between these two games that we watched so far is the Devils' power play was not good. They, no, it was five for 33 against the Panthers going into that moment. That was over the course of the whole season. And also they mentioned that the Devils both scored 15 shorthanded goals, but also gave up the most in the league uh, as well. So it was yep. very strange that through it all, the consistent factor has been that the Devils power play has just not been effective in these uh, playoff runs. No, and it's stunning because even if you figure, well, Kovalchuk's not 100%, but, you know, you have him at the center point, and then you have Parise, you have Zajac, you have Henrik, you have all these options, and they just, it literally was an example of not being able to put the puzzle pieces together, so to speak. I mean, the second unit had Peter Harold on it. No disrespect to Peter Harold, but <laughs> really? We're going to we're gonna try out Peter Harold instead of Andy Green? Okay, Sure. Yeah, the, the key is that, you know, with this defensive core that we were talking about, the difference can be seen in the fact that no Devils defenseman scored a single goal in that series. No. I mean, Volchenkov just created a goal, but yeah, yeah you're right. No no defenders scored, whereas, you know, Florida could boast Dmitry Kulikov. They had uh, Jovo. They had, uh, Jovo, Jovo Cop. Uh, Brian Campbell was obviously the big guy to worry about, the big guns, so to speak. And then uh, they apparently got this guy – Coming back for this game, I wrote down his name and I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head, which is sad. Um, hard shooting defenseman. We'll get there essentially, but um, I just have to see who the defensemen were because I don't know them as readily for the Panthers. Uh, yeah, hold on a sec. Hold good on. A Branson sec. was there. Garrison, Weaver were the ones that we did not mention. Weaver, Jason Garrison. Jason Garrison. Jason Garrison. Yeah. Who played an astonishing 33 minutes and a half of this game? Heavy, heavy shot. Um, woe befall anybody who tried to block his shots, and of course Volchenkov did. Um, <laughs> speaking of Jovakop, he uh, after all the penalties were sorted out, Jovanovski decided I'm going to take a penalty way behind the play. Yeah, <laughs> and of course Clarkson dived on that play. So that's another rare occurrence is a dive being called in a game seven of the playoff. So we had another four on four situation and. One thing that note that it noted me at this point, Dan, is that everybody is skating like they're on fire. Like, as opposed to other game sevens where it's like tense, you're you're methodical, you don't want to make that big mistake that costs you the team. Like, it's almost like everybody is just deciding, I got to skate sixty miles an hour all the time. We're just going to play fast, 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 fast. And you know, I don't know who that actually benefited. Yeah, I don't know if it benefited Jersey or Florida. I mean, eventually it would benefit Florida. But not in those first two periods. It was very much in New Jersey's hands. 
Yeah, and the CBGB line was doing their thing for the beginning part of this game, and that pace really benefited them because they were not the traditional, you know, fourth line that I think a lot of teams put together for playoff runs. That was basically like two enforcers in the center who can handle the puck. It was, right. it was a lot of, you know, they were able to create their own opportunities, but really their hallmark was the aggressive forechecking, and they were very, very present in this game. I would say. And you know what else was present in this game, Dan? Was that? If, if, I don't know if you were around the site in 2012, but the pairing of Bryce Salvador and Marek Zidliski being mm-hmm. problematic at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was their hallmark. Uh, this was not a good game for Bryce Salvador. I mean, he had an awesome playoffs. He scored way more points than I think anybody would have predicted, including himself. Yeah. But he torched into this game. Marcel Goch ate him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner in this game. And then Zidliski... Here's the thing about Sidliski back in 2012, Dan. There used to be a trend. I, f- I forget who exactly on our site called him this, but they came up with the Zid trick where he would pick up an assist or have a really good offensive play. He'll take a stupid penalty and then he'll forget to make he'll forget to do something on defense or he'll make a big mistake on defense. And that would be the Zid trick. Yeah, we had a hallmark Zid trick in this game then. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he he gave up a huge giveaway to Marcel Goch late in the first period, which ended up with Salvador dumping Bergenheim into Bergor, into the net, which, of course, was a penalty on Salvador. Right. Thanks a lot. But then, it, but two minutes earlier, Zidliski nearly scores a goal, and Kulikov had to clear the puck uh, as it trickled past the Theodore. So, I mean, there was your offense. There's your stupid defensive play that was nearly costly. The penalty is going to come much later. We'll get and, to oh, the penalty. <laughs> oh, this was a bad penalty. But the Devils' penalty kill was, you know, very nerve-wracking back then because even though they were all about creating short short-handed opportunities, Florida's power play was clicking in that series. Mm-hmm. It was clicking in the season, and you're thinking to yourself, "Great, it's one nothing. Florida's hot power play is at it again," and you're just holding on to your breath that they don't get much going. Thankfully, they didn't get much going in that one. I well, wish I could say the same for the other ones. Yeah, I mean, any any sort of play that took place in the devil zone was amplified in terms of danger because Florida outdrew them in the faceoff 65% to 35%. Oh, yeah. Marcel Goch just destroyed Patrick Eliasha at the dot. I mean, Zajac was the only, I think, the only guy who was even close to 50%. I'm not even sure if he was at it. But for the most part, yeah, Florida had a distinct advantage in winning those draws, which in a special team situation, that's a big deal. Yeah, exactly. And it made it tougher for the Devils to create any sort of offense, especially after that first period, because as we get to the second half of this period, you know, we're mentioning more Florida's rushing towards the net. They kind of started to find their legs a little bit. And Brodeur held strong this game. This was this was a vintage Marty performance. And this was something that if he had not been there, I don't think the Devils have any chance to win this game because Florida just tilted the ice entirely after you know after the second period we'll get to that as well but that being said the first period ended with the devils um, leading one to nothing and they take that lead and you know you think florida's getting back into the game a little bit but things are still fine as long as they can hold the fort it's okay so that second period i mean really it was highly uneventful um i think the only thing that did happen was that the devils scored a goal well, there's a little more to it than that, but yeah, I would say that Florida, I wrote back on the blog in the recap that I wrote at 2.30 in the morning that night after the Devils won, mm-hmm. I wrote how the Devils dominated the second period. Watching it again, I don't know if I would use the word dominant in so much as I would say the Florida Panthers were inert on mm-hmm. offense. Like, they would have the puck in the Devils zone, 
but they would just not be able to figure anything out. They they couldn't be in a position to attempt a shot, much less put one on net. It was a very easy period for Bredor. I think the official shot count of that period was something like, uh, yeah, two shots on net, all period. Mm-hmm. Two. While, while losing in a game seven on your home rink. Yeah. I mean, like that's just like astonishing. But you're right. The Devils offense wasn't as forceful, but they did create an opportunity. Steven Gianta, of all people, you know, managed to make it happen. Peter Harold, who took a shot earlier, got shot. Uh, his shot from distance was blocked by Campbell. It bounced to the right area for Gianta. He went down on one knee and proposed that he take a shot on net. And uh, the, and the net said yes. That's a terrible metaphor for what happened, but uh, <laughs> it's two nothing New Jersey, and the crowd is just like stunned because uh, you know Gianta, you know he was not on the team until the last game of the season. Yeah, <laughs> and then he, he, this fourth line was basically made for this playoff series, and this fourth line uh, started getting a reputation in this series. They didn't have a good game at all. This, they got outplayed like heavily to the point where you didn't see him in the third period yeah. and it wasn't an accident. But Gianta can at least say I had my moment and it was an important moment because that second goal gave the Devils a big cushion to help justify the, the tilting of the ice. Because, again, Florida was doing next to nothing on offense. I think the most offensive play they had was when John Madden accidentally high stick. Thomas Kopechke in the face. Yeah, and the assist on the Gianta goal went to Harold and Carter, which gives you an idea of where the offense was coming from for the Devils in this game, where, you know, the player was not named Adam Henrique, because I think Henrique had another one of his one-on-one rushes in this period and then another one in the third. No, it was in the first and the third period. Oh, first and then... I think it happened twice in the third, didn't it? No, he didn't. Oh, really? No, he oh, only had one like in the he third. Was all over the place. <laughs> no, he was all over the place, but no, he only had two one-on-ones all game. Okay, uh, gotcha. And he got penalized on both of them. He got or... penalized on both of them. Yes. Yeah. He drew calls. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could have argued they should have been penalty shots. That would have been <sighs> spicy. That should have been dramatic. That but was no, something the, that the referee said. That, that was something that TSN was discussing. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think those were pretty close either way. I think the referees might be a little skittish about calling a penalty shot in a game seven in general, but. Yeah. I, those were pretty borderline. I think you can make an argument one way or another, but all in all, you know, Steven Gianta produces the offense here for the Devils, and they lead to nothing, and they're going into the third period, and all of a sudden, you know, early in the third, Henrique comes close again with that one-on-one rush, but Florida comes in waves, and they have a goal waved off, and yep. it's because there was a penalty call and it wasn't goaltender interference. The penalty call had already transpired before the puck went into the net. And yeah. Matthias, yeah. Matthias uh, thankfully got tagged for interference because Fleischman Fleischman had a bad game. And this was surprising <laughs> for Florida since their, their, their top line for most of the season was Steven Weiss, Christopher Stieg and Thomas Fleischman. And Fleischman just had a bad game, but this was his moment and it was taken away because Matthias was an idiot and took a penalty in a Game 7 third period, meaning he did something bad, and it was obvious, and uh, it was a legit call. So, thankfully, um, the goal was taken away. Unfortunately, the Devils did nothing with the power play afterwards, and it ended early because David Clarkson decided, I'm going to take a high-sticking penalty on offense. Yeah. <laughs> David Clarkson did not have his most disciplined game by any means. No, and no. Those this were was... rare for him in general, but this yeah. game in particular, he started early, 
early jawing at the referees that Jovanovsky call. He did not like that. And, nope. it, it, you know, he was undisciplined later on. He did not have much control over, you know, his stick, his skating pattern, and they paid for it. Yeah, they did. Now, this is where things get really odd. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, during the Panthers' power play overrunning after Clarkson's call, Henrique then gets his one-on-one, but he drew a slashing call from Eric Goodbranson. So, during that four-on-four, Peter Harold gets bodied up by Weiss and Versteeg to the point where Harold's like, I'm just going to grab Versteeg's arm. Like, you know, like, I, I got to grab his arm and tell him, no, you can't leave. You can't leave me, man. You can't take this puck and walk out on me again. Well, that guy obviously got called for holding. And then on the 22nd power play for the Florida Panthers, 15 seconds in, Weiss one times it in over the shoulder of Martin Bardor. It's two to one. The crowd erupts. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, no, that's how this happened. Yeah, <laughs> that's how this is all happening. Salvador and Marcel Goch set a great screen on Bardor. The shot by Weiss was perfect. You couldn't ask for a much better shot from Weiss. And amazingly, Dan, the crowd didn't just get loud. They started standing in the lower bowl for the remainder of the game. Mm -hmm. yes. like, it was actually hard to see in the near side corners because there are heads in the ways. There are shoulders. There are bodies in my view that were not there in the first two periods. Right. And the interesting thing about this is that, you know, you didn't. You always talk about the Panthers fan base and whatnot, but this was their first time in the playoffs in 10 years and their first time potentially able to win a series, as we said, since 96. So they're hyped up. And as Devils fans, the last game seven that we witnessed was the nightmare against the Hurricanes. I'm not which, talking about it. Yeah, which they talked about it on the broadcast, and I was just as I resentful then, and it sucked. And that's what the Devils fans are coming off of as they see a 2 nothing lead become 2-1 against a team who they said, oh, yeah, good thing we tanked past the Philadelphia Flyers to get the Panthers as our opponent. Meanwhile, the Flyers easily handled the Penguins, and the Devils were left with a marginal lead in Game 7 against the Panthers after narrowly scraping by Game 6. So the worry was setting in. The worry had already set in, but now it had reached a fever pitch almost, and the Devils certainly did not make it any better with their play in the third period. And, oh, no. You know, oh, no, not at all. Florida, we, okay, go ahead. Florida, Florida played like actual Panthers, smelling blood. For Stieg with point-blank shots that led to big saves over Bordeaux. Kopechki made Salvador look like an idiot, and Bordeaux, you know, had to deny him. Upshaw nearly got a goal to make mm -hmm. it 2-2, and Green saved it off the line. Like, mm -hmm. the Devils were just... Like, the only time the Devils got an offensive opportunity, like, for the minutes after the first goal, was then Goach gave a terrible giveaway to Eliash, which, of course... The Eliash line, as much as I respect that line and respect Patrick Eliash, they they did not do well with the gift that they were given. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it goes back to Florida, you know, swarming the net. Matthias gets an opportunity. Kopechki falls on top of Berdor. I literally wrote my notes. Help your goalie. Yeah. 
just help your goalie. And well, they're so not helping your goalie. We your mentioned that the defense. legendary goaltender. You're not helping them. Well, that's that's exactly what I'm like. My point is that they mentioned that it's a no-name defense, essentially. But you got to remember that there's one big name that accounts for much of the defensive side of the game. And that is Martin Brodeur, a top three goalie of all time. So, you know, it, it's it's somewhere there. Yes, they did defense more by committee. And that's that showed more on the offensive side of the puck uh, in terms of generating rushes from the back, in terms of, you know, just general stability. But Brodeur was still Brodeur. Like, no matter yeah. what happened, he was, you know, he had had some some tough games. He missed a lot of games with injury um, in a couple seasons prior to that. So the cracks were starting to show, and he was 39 years old at this point. He'd be turning 40 in about a week's time um, here. But he really, you know, turned back the clock on this game. He really was completely stable back there, and he was the presence they needed to weather the storm to the extent that they did until, of course, uh, the Zid trick was completed, and Merrick Zidlitsky, as the Devils are flopping around to get out of their own zone with about five minutes left in the game, throws a puck over the glass, and of course, where that wasn't a penalty in the game in 2003, where that actually happened once, uh, it is a penalty in this one, and the Devils, again, were punished for it as um, Gotch made sure to use the most of that opportunity, and all of a sudden it was a tie game, Dale Talon's view in the booth gets a lot better, and the Devils found themselves tied 2-2 with little time to go, and not only that, after that goal, the Panthers had another opportunity with seconds left in the game that Brodeur squeezed that actually went to review, and I did not remember this at all, but no. it never once looked like there was any sort of conclusive angle to that shot. So No, but if, if there was, that would have been almost as heartbreaking as what happened in 2009. But let's go back to the second goal against yeah. for a moment here. So Zidlitsky took the penalty at approximately... 340 I'm sorry there's 348 left on the clock and then a little bit past I want to say 330 on the clock so it was I think 327 or something like that officially or 328 I should say uh, officially like Goach hammers in a rebound from a Sean Bergenheim's shot mm -hmm. and Bernard made a good save on the Bergenheim shot and this was just one of those classic the rebound just went right to Goach Goach was on like the you know coming in from the left corner it wasn't like he was right in front of the net or anything like that it wasn't that juicy of a rebound but uh, he just was in the perfect place to just hammer it in i'm looking at salvador going what in the world are you trying to cover because that's your side and and more importantly just like the previous power play goal against at no point did the devils ever get the puck they won the face off florida held position and it didn't take them long for them to punish the devils for the penalty so i mean it was just a bad penalty-killing night, and the Devils taking as many penalties as they did and the types of penalties that they did was definitely a negative in their performance, in addition to just getting, you know, completely steamrolled throughout the entire third period of a Game 7, you know, winner-go-home type of situation. To the point where you're sitting there at 20.9 seconds left in the game going, please, 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 please show me that Brodor kept that puck out of the net. And yeah, 
So, yeah. and it really highlights the contrast between, like we said, that 2003 Devils team and this one. Where, oh yeah, the the reason that this was such an unexpected run for them. First of all, they finished as a sixth seed by virtue of the playoff seeding format, but still, no one really. I don't think a lot of people took them seriously as a Stanley Cup contender that year. And no. of course, they faced off against the eighth seeded LA Kings at the end. This is still the highest combined seeds for a Stanley Cup final uh, with 14, but it was clear that they were not nearly as dominant and they needed a lot more to break their way in order for them to, um, to make the run. And eventually, you know, they, they figured out some of the different, some of the things that they were doing wrong in the Florida series, but it took them all seven games to do it. And this seventh game, I would say even it took them until overtime to figure out a lot of these things. And mercifully, you know, Deborah put a lot of trust in Adam Henrique to win one faceoff to send the game to overtime. Henrique didn't win the faceoff, but did enough so that Zubris could knock that puck out of the zone. And the Devils were headed to overtime for the second straight game. And we are all sitting on pins and needles at this point, waiting to see what happens. And really, overtime one had some, it had some scary flurries, but I think overall oh, yeah. it wasn't as like open fire wagon as the rest of the game had been up to that point. <laughs> But there were some real chances where, you know, I don't think the Devils came particularly close, but the Florida Panthers sure did. Yeah, the, I will say the pace of the game was actually similar to the, the game, you know, the game in regulation where, again, everybody's flying up and down the ice. Like there was, again, there wasn't really a sense that I got from watching this game from either team that it was just like, OK, it's overtime. One bad play can make this happen. Let's be more careful. Let's be more cautious. Let's, let's slow it down. It was like, nope, we're going. We got to get going. It's, it's like they were like chasing time or something. Like somebody told them, hey, hurry it up. Let, let's get this going. Let's get this moving. Mm. And they did make a point of it on the broadcast that other overtimes in the playoffs and in the series even, uh, it didn't take that long for the goal to happen. And for, thankfully, <laughs> Florida came incredibly close less than uh, three minutes into the game. I'm sorry, into overtime, I should say, where – I'm screaming that at Travis Zajac, not covering John Madden in the slot. Smithson made a perfect pass to Madden. Madden takes a shot right on Brodor's doorstep. He gets stopped. Um, there's another shot by his other teammate, who I think was Matthias. And then Madden gets another opportunity right on Brodor's doorstep. And I'm like, Zajac, hug this man. It's overtime in game seven. They're not going <laughs> to call it. <laughs> like I remember back in 2012, like I that, that could have been my first, you know, hair loss as a result of a hockey game. I mean, you know, I was stunned that Madden didn't end it right there. Thankfully, Berdor made the big stops, and um, the Devils, I think, used that as almost as a wake up call to get get their minds right. It also helped that Christopher C decided to violently slash Salvador in the hand, yeah, over time, which gave the Devils a power play, and. It was a much better power play. The Devils even used a timeout on it, but, you know, they didn't convert it, obviously. But you're starting to see more activity from Eliash, from Kovalchuk, from Parise. Like, the energy level for New Jersey was much better, and you started actually getting more offense. You even got to see the return of the CBGB line, even though they got their butts whipped in the run of play, and that continued in overtime. And then a weird thing happens about halfway through overtime. The broadcast said something interesting. I don't know if you caught this, Dan. Which which thing was it? They mentioned all out of nowhere. Oh yeah, Theodore's been playing hurt with a you know he's got like a groin issue or something. Oh, like that. that's right, that's like, right. And 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 that and they will use that to say, oh, that's why New Jersey's been looking for rebounds. And then it dawns on me, 
the Devils haven't been able to generate any rebounds on Theodore. Like, yes, Gianta's goal was off a rebound, but that was off a Campbell skate. That wasn't off a Theodore. And everything Theodore saw, he was able to either stop cleanly or stop uh, and freeze. Like, you would think, like, you know, it's not like the Devils didn't take any shots on this guy. They put 36 on the man. Um, that's a pretty healthy amount of shots. But, it's almost, but you know, compared to what Florida was doing to Brodor, I'm thinking to myself, hey, Devils, test the man with the gimpy leg here. <laughs> you yeah, know? figure it out sooner rather than later because otherwise they'll hear Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter again, which I did not realize was also the Panthers' goal song at the time. Yep. And... That was a bizarre revelation, but that was the singular goal at that point. So whatever they can generate, they should. And, you know, the more they keep the puck out of the zone, the better it gets. And the next kind of dangerous opportunity, I would say, like extremely dangerous opportunity, is when um, Weiss and Upshaw both came very, very close. I think Upshaw sent one sailing wide of the net from pretty much blatantly in the slot. And again, the announcers felt the need to say how much Kovalchuk was laboring out there. Right. So this was the play. So Weiss got a shot in the slot. He gets stopped by Berdor. Upshaw's at a perfect spot, similar to how, not not exactly in the same location as Gotch, but he was actually an arguably better place than Gotch was to put in the rebound. And it goes high and wide. And at first I'm thinking, wow, Upshaw blew it. And then they show the slow motion replay. And I want to say it was Green that got his stick just enough on the puck to send that puck way away from where it should have gone. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, you know, Green Green and Mark Fain, which was a very good pairing for the Devils, especially in 2012 in that playoff series. You know, their run of play, you know, their Corsi in the game wasn't as good. It was on par with Zidliski and Salvador. But unlike Zidliski and Salvador, that pairing didn't take any penalties. They didn't, you know, do anything costly. Uh, they they just tried their best to weather the storm, so to speak, and Green saved two, possibly saved two goals in this game. So credit to him. You know, that's why... You know, I have more good feelings about that pairing than I about the Salvador Sidliski pairing. But yeah, that was a big, big time failure by Florida. And again, I don't even remember that one. I remember the Madden one scaring the hell out of me back in 2012. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember Upshaw and watching it. I was like, oh my goodness, Florida should have won the game. But but I would definitely agree. Those two opportunities that we discussed at length gave the the impression that Florida was the more dangerous team. Truthfully, it was a more even period. It was still a fast period in overtime. And, you know, Parise started playing a little bit more. Bernier got some time with Patrick Eliash. Clarkson got some time with Patrick Eliash. Um, they tried to mix things up a little bit. But, um, you know, the Devils weathered the storm and Brodor, you know, came up big. And thankfully, Upshaw had his shot deflected away. Yeah. So. And, you know, this is where everyone's holding their breath. And making sure, you know, once that shot sailed wide, you exhale a little bit, but the puck's still in the zone, so you don't know how much time you have to actually breathe. And luckily that happened towards the end of the first overtime, so you think, okay, they can go to the locker room, they can reset. And they really needed it. They really, really needed it, because 347 into the second overtime period, there weren't too many opportunities for Florida for the rest of the game after that. No, They're, none. You know, they, they didn't really manage to uh, threaten the Devils after that upshaw opportunity. And Henrique, with an individual effort skating through three guys, he got the puck back, uh, bounced off a couple bodies, and he just whizzed a shot that it looks like there may have been a defenseman screen by accident. Um, and it went through Theodore, and really, I think... 
the initial feeling was, I can't believe that just happened because he's oh, standing yeah. there alone one on three. Yeah, the whole the whole second overtime was a complete change from the other four periods. Now, granted, at this point, it's nearly midnight. And again, you just played 80 minutes of hockey at 60 or, or higher miles per hour. So both teams were playing much more methodically in the second overtime. There was no shot on net up until Henrik's goal. There was no shot attempt by either team until Henrik's goal. Mm-hmm. So both teams were like dumping it in. They were trying to win a battle, trying to win the puck. Um, you know, the fans are still standing at the arena. They started a Marty chant, I guess, to mock him, which is an so odd thing strange. to do to a guy who just made 41 saves out of 40, you know, I'm sorry, 43 saves out of 45 shots. But hey, it's, you know, it's a game seven on your home ice. Do whatever you want. Well, not uh, only that, the chant died out within seconds because they realized, like, oh, I guess this doesn't really matter. Like, first of all, Marty at that point had played, what, his, this is his 20th, maybe 19th season in the league at that point, And he, he's seen it all at the, yeah, before, it so it's not going to yeah. bother him ever. And also, he's having a great game. So I don't know what yeah. the purpose of chanting Marty is at that point. Like, that that's something that you do to add on to any struggles that he's potentially having, but he was, you know, dialed in the whole time. Yeah. He, he would be the best player of the game. Yep. Like even more so than Henrik, even though Henrik was the hero and on the play. Mm-hmm. So again, this whole third overtime, neither team is doing much of anything. They're just sort of like trading potential possessions. And then finally we get a little bit of a breakthrough and it's from the Henrik line where Clarkson is back with Ponikarowski and Henrik here. So Ponikarowski first denied a rim around by Theodore at 16:25, And then it goes around the net and, and there's like a bit of a battle. Clarkson lost the battle to Kulikov, but as it turned out, the puck bounced off. Uh, it was supposed to go to Fleischman, but Ponikarowski got a stick check on Fleischman and that's what caused the puck to pop up which you and I couldn't have seen on the TV broadcast because everybody was standing in the lower bowl. Mm -hmm. This was something that you would see, like if you saw the replay shortly thereafter, the uh, game winner. Um, That puck magically bounced through Matthias's leg. Henrique picked it up. And then, as you said, he just kind of winged it on towards the net. And he just caught Theodore through the five hole. And that was your first shot of the period. That was your first attempt of the period. (laughs) And that would be the last one because it won the game. And at officially 12.17 a.m. on uh, April 27, 2012, the New Jersey Devils finally won their first playoff series since 2007. Yeah, they knew who they'd be playing against late in the third period, uh, given that the fact that, as I mentioned, the Rangers won their game late in the mm-hmm. third against Washington, which meant that Philadelphia, who easily dispatched Pittsburgh, I think it was in five games that year, if not six, but it wasn't a convincing six. Uh, they knew that they'd be taking on the, the Flyers if they won this game. And that's got to be something that, you know, they look forward to that type of matchup. And luckily it was the devils who ended up moving on to that matchup instead of the former Blackhawks, now Panthers, Christopher Stieg, Brian Campbell, <laughs> Thomas Kopetsky, and John Madden. Yep. And, All and those to, guys. <laughs> yeah. And to give them the credit that they're due. I mean, the Florida team, you know, they had some excellent, 
performances in that game and in the series. And I'm going back to what I wrote back in 2012. You know, guys like Bergenheim, Marcel Goch, Mikkel Samuelson, they had very good series. Versteeg has been a devil's killer apparently in 2012. And thankfully he did not score in this game, but he came close a couple times. And, you know, back then Chris Versteeg was somebody you were afraid of. Maybe not so in 2020, but you did in 2012. Mm -hmm. And uh, on top of that, you had to deal with Salvador having a bad game. Zidlisky being Zidlisky, you had to deal with Kovalchuk who was injured. Parisi invisible. Uh, well, again, he had six shots on that. I, I can't. It was call him so invisible. strange. When? I will say, I will <laughs> say, he didn't he could have done more? Like, I think the the difference here is that a lot of those shots were just not threatening shots. Maybe because because he wasn't he wasn't the dominant down low presence that you normally would get from from Parisi. But just to just to move on here, Peter Sakura was a passenger. Yep. Um, I almost forgot he played in this game. Uh, the CBGB line, even though Gianta got the got the goal, that line got killed in the run of play to the point where DeBoer even picked up on it and benched him for most of the third period in the overtime period. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't get reunited until the second overtime for like one shift. Um, you know, Zubris was uh, exactly Zub- even. <laughs> Zubris was exactly even. I mean, again, the Henrique line with Clarkson and Ponikrovsky was pretty good. Volchenkov and Harold had a fairly good game given their situations, but really this game was pretty much the Martin Brodeur show uh, overall, and this has to be seen as one of his last uh, great performances in a career full of great performances. So, mm-hmm. you know, credit to a big, a lot of credit goes to him. Again, Henrik got first start of the game as he probably should since he did score the first and last goal of the game, but Brodeur absolutely could have been the first star of this game. And I would do it if it was up to me. Teodor got the third star of this game. I don't know if I would agree with that. I, I think a guy like Goch probably should have taken Weiss that. Weiss could have. Or Weiss even. Um, if you you know want to be really uh, saucy, you can go with Campbell. You know, mm-hmm. since you know he was the dominant defenseman, he played a boatload of minutes in that game, like right. something crazy, like thirty nine, thirty one. Yeah, I mean, he like, was their anchor point. He was the the defenseman that. Really, if he wasn't there, the Panthers would have been nowhere near where they ended up that season. Exactly. So uh, all things, you know, the other big thing is that Florida won the special teams here. So if, if the Devils were a little more disciplined, if Zablisky didn't clear the puck over the glass, maybe they could have held on and won this 2-1 or 2-0 or 3-1 with an empty netter in, in regulation. But um, as I wrote back in 2012, Dan, before the game, in the game preview for this one, I wrote, quote, I said I didn't care who on the Devils makes it happen. I didn't care when the Devils make it happen. And I especially didn't care how the Devils do it. (laughs) So the answer to that was Henrik, after midnight, wasn't the greatest performance, but they got it done. And then came the wonderful series against Philadelphia. Yep. So moving on from there, as we all know, they went on to lose game one against the Flyers and then win the next four. They uh, lost games one and three against the Rangers and won the four other ones uh, to win in six and, of course, lost in six to the L.A. Kings. But really, it was the last magical run that the Devils have had. So it's it's sad to say that in 2020, but it looks like, you know, you can't really count this as a playoff year since more and more it feels like the playoffs aren't even going to happen. So I guess you can't really add it on to the uh (laughs) <laughs> the the poor numbers that the Devils have been accruing the last decade. However, this was their best run of the decade easily. This was the furthest they had gotten since the 2003 Stanley Cup Final when they managed to win. And this is something that 
was supposed to herald a big summer for New Jersey as impending free agents Parisi and Kovalchuk had more incentive to stay theoretically if they went far. And of course, we all know how that ended up in the long term. But it was really a a nice lineup to uh, to follow along. And really, it was more workman like. It wasn't as machine like as the two thousand as the early two thousands teams were. I would say. Definitely. I mean, to be fair, um, this team had a little more offensive flair up front with Parise and Kovalchuk and Henrique. Uh, but there was still a lot of that sentiment of everybody has a role to play. Everybody has to do a decent job to make this all work. And to your point, the no-name defense, you had Brodeur playing like he was 30 years old instead of instead of his 40-year-old age. Um, you had guys like Ponikarovsky, Zubris. Um, to a lesser extent, even though they're better than just being guys, but guys like Zajac and Henrique, you know, coming up in big moments and having good games, even guys like David Clarkson, even though he took some bad penalties in this one, um, you know, he otherwise had a fairly good game. Like TSN's broadcasters were bigging him up, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, highlighting the fact that, you know, oh, this is the type of guy you want in a playoff situation. And given how physical the game was, because Florida was definitely frustrated early on so there was a lot of jaw jacket and shots after whistles and so forth so a guy like Clarkson being around was beneficial in that sense Mm -hmm. even though if he you know instigated a lot of it uh the fact of the matter is that you you got to see a lot of different styles of players and and types of players all coming together to form I would say a team that was greater than the sum of its parts I think that would be the easiest and simplest way to describe a 20 the 21 11 2012 new jersey devils yeah I, I agree with you on that count i think that's a great way to summarize it the greater than the sum of its parts because you look at that roster and you pick out the stars you pick out you know eliash kovalchuk parisi brodeur but other than that you know what do you have you have yeah. a lot of a lot of focus on the offensive side of the puck and that wasn't the devil's trademark but they managed to find a way to have this unit just you know, pull the rope for each other all the way through. And it was a very different era from that team, you know, compared to the team that made the 2003 cup final, as we've alluded to. And so for our next game, we wanted <laughs> to get out of the modern era a little bit and oh. have a team that was nowhere near the Stanley cup, uh, no. but still provide an entertaining game for you. So John, do you want to set the scene of our next game in our little assignment? Right. So as you all know, the site all about the Jersey started off as in Louis trust. And that's because I, as a New Jersey devils fan who became a devils fan in the 1993, 94 season only knew about the greatness of Lou Lamorello and the greatness the devils would form. However, there were teams before Lou Lamorello were involved with the New Jersey devils and they were mostly bad teams, ugly teams, mm-hmm. but interesting teams. And we're going to watch a game from the, one of the last seasons before Lou Lamorello was brought in by Dr. John McMullen. We are going back to 1986, specifically October 29th, 1986. The place, the igloo. (laughs) The opponent, the Pittsburgh Penguins. We are going to watch a wild regular season game that has no historical importance, but somebody decided to record and upload to YouTube in full to get a taste of what was hockey like back in the mid eighties? What were the devils like back then before they were like, you know, good. What did a young Mario Lemieux and Kirk Muller look like? And who even played in net for the New Jersey devils? (laughs) 
These are all good questions. We'll be sure to address them next episode as we watch this game and just prepare for a barn burner. I don't want to, you know, spoil too much about what went on, but oh yeah, it <laughs> was game... crazy. Yeah, this game is not short on the events or the uh, the game summary. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, there's going to be a lot of uh, things to dissect in this box score and a lot of stoppages, so prepare yourselves, but just know that the, the context is very different because it's a game in October, it's early in the season, um, this is one of the worst iterations of the New Jersey Devils, but you know what, it's important to know where you came from to see where you're going moving forward, right, I guess? I don't know. Besides, <laughs> how often are you going to be able to watch a game from 1986, a regular season game, in October, featuring a team that eventually would finish sixth in the Patrick Division, going 29, 45, and six. <laughs> exactly. Okay, that doesn't, that doesn't exactly sell it here, but hey, it's interesting. You got it. You got to give us that. Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll see how the game develops, obviously, when we get back to you next week. And for now, I hope you enjoyed looking back at that 2012 team. You know, we obviously didn't talk about what I would say is the game that sticks out in everyone's memory, but this one was the game that facilitated all that came after it. So, you know, the Henrique heroics don't happen in game six against the Rangers without this win against Florida and you know, beating the Flyers as well that year doesn't happen if they don't get past this obstacle. So knowing all the context, breaking down the game, it's important to note also that this was really the last game that the Devils felt like they were not a cohesive unit for the whole game. I think that moving forward from this game onward, especially in 2012, they really brought the team element of the game together to become that greater than some of its parts entity. And for the rest of the playoffs until they faced Los Angeles, I would say, uh, maybe the Eastern Conference, they didn't look um, disoriented as they did in the Florida series against the Flyers. They didn't look bad against the Rangers, even in the losses. So this was an important game to grow the confidence they needed to get to the cup final. So it's good to look back, understand the context and relive those feelings. And now as we're approaching a game that neither of us are paying attention for, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how not having direct memories of it kind of defines our interpretation of what went on. And not only that, but keep in mind that Sports broadcasting, we take a lot of things for granted in this day and age, and even as far back as in 2003 and 2012, whereas you always had the score on the screen. Well, you didn't have that in 86. Did you have multiple people in the booth? You didn't have that in 86. Did you have a lot of graphics on the ice or graphics by the television people? Absolutely not. So this is going to be an interesting watch. I, I'm curious to see how good the quality is going to hold up for two hours, but uh, we're, we're that's part of the fun of this type of experiment. We're not just looking at the most famous games, but sometimes the offbeat ones could be just a joy in of itself. Yeah. So we'll come back to you next week with that game. Thanks again for joining us this week, breaking down game seven against the Florida Panthers on April 26th, 2012. Like I said, stay safe. Keep your families in mind and keep watching some Devils hockey uh, in any way you can. We'd love to watch it with you. So thanks again for joining us. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you guys next time. Let's go Devils. Go Devils. <laughs>